morning. Good morning, church. How's everyone this week? I hope it was a good week for you, yeah? Maybe I'm just going to pop uh, uh, this thing back to the previous one uh, so that if any of you want to just get the today's slides on your phone, you can follow it on your phone as I preach. But how, how, have, how has your week been? Has it been a tough week? How many of you, you kind of had a tough week? Can you just give me a little wave? If you had a tough week, you know, I'm waving at you, right? Because I, 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 I had a difficult week at my, myself, right? How many of you, you had a great week? Like it was like, you know, yeah, yeah, I've got, I, I've got those with, with, with great weeks. You know, I trust that for most of us, um, our week was somewhere in between um, the tough and the great, you know, but our weeks are always held in God's hands. Amen. So whether you're going through a difficult season or whether you are going through a season of, of remarkable sunshine and, and strong breeze, you know, God is the one who's in charge of our ship, right? Because He is the captain leading us from one place to the next into safe harbor and then back out into sea. So today, on that note, that Maritime note, you know, uh, we are going into our Acts uh, a, a series this for that for not just for this week, not just for the coming months, but it's a series that will take us through the whole year. Today is Acts overview, okay? Acts overview. It will also be Acts chapter 1 and overview because the way Luke has written Acts chapter 1, he has written chapter 1 as the overview, okay? So I have the joy of preaching one message to do both, okay? Um, and I want to entitle today's sermon, Kingdom Power Witness, okay? And it so happens today we've got three blocks of chairs. So you guys are going to say kingdom, you all in the middle are going to say power, and over here is going to say witness, okay? I'm going to point the mic, okay? And I'm going to do it Jack Ng style, okay? I'm going to randomize it after a while. And, and you guys are... <laughs> Alright, Kingdom Power Witness, okay? These three, thanks so much by the way. Give yourselves a hand. Give yourselves a hand because I didn't plan that. It's just, you know, just a little energizer. But um, I think when we go through the whole book of Acts, three themes will keep popping up. Three themes will keep becoming visible and these three things are the three that you have just been saying. The kingdom of God being extended, you know, um, the power of the Holy Spirit upon His people and upon new places and the witnessing of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ everywhere the disciples went. You'll see this over and over again. 28 chapters of the book of Acts. You're going to see a panorama of God's kingdom, of God's power, and of His disciples' witness to that kingdom and power. Amen? And so, I want us to all read, okay? I'm going to lead to read, okay? You guys just, you can follow on the screens, okay? But I really want to encourage you, in this season, this year, if you, if you love your Bibles, okay, bring it, okay? I'm going to tell you this, Bring your Bibles, okay? And I'm going to charge you with this one thing, okay? How many of you, you feel that you really, you find it really hard to chonte in your Bible? Like you can't even underline, okay? You, you just leave your Bible like pristine and untouched, okay? If that's you, raise your hand, right? If that's you, raise your hand, okay? Now, I'm okay. I'm okay if for those of you who raise your hand, you really cannot do anything, any markings on your Bible is good, okay? Take notes elsewhere, right? You got to take notes elsewhere. For the rest of you who didn't raise your hands, I'm going to assume either A, you're okay to underline, write a note here or there, you know, circle a word. You're okay with that, okay? Either that or you don't have a physical Bible, okay? How many of you, no shame in it because we live in a digital age, okay? How many of you, you don't have a, a physical Bible? Raise your hands. I'm, I'm really legit. I'm curious. Okay? Yeah, we've got TK. Anyone else? You just don't have a physical Bible? No one else? Okay? Bro, we're going to work on getting you one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I was going to say, I love shopping for Bibles. So if, you, if you, any of you, if more hands were raised, I would say, come and talk to me. We'll get you a physical Bible. You know, or, or we'll... Yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. There we go. There we go. Ah, all of y'all, all of y'all, because you didn't raise your hand, right? Okay, okay. Now, throughout this act series, I want you to make annotations, okay? 
I want you to take notes. I want you to circle. I want you to underline. I want you to write on the side. You know, I want you to write at the bottom, write at the top. I did so much of that until my Bible got literally no space. I found that the margins were not enough for me to write notes. And then I got myself a journal Bible um, that has that has a, a border on the right and left. And, and I'm now happily, joyfully writing into it every time I read my Bible. I long for the same for you because that's how your word really becomes flesh. Okay? So throughout this Acts series, we have your Bibles with you starting next week. Okay? All right? Cannot. All right. All right. All right. There's a little bit of stickiness. Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, He said, you heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the reading of your word. We just ask, Father God, that you help us to understand what you are saying to us through your word in Acts chapter 1. And teach us, give us soft hearts, Father God, soft hearts to be shaped by you and fire in our hearts, Lord God, um, so that we can, so that we can, can, can have the, share the passion with you, Lord God, so that when you love your word, we can mood your word back to you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now. Now, um, I'm going to go through Acts chapter 1 uh, uh, again, just one more time, and point out a few things before I show you a broad sweep of the whole book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, in a moment I'm going to tell you about who the recipient of Acts could be. Theophilus is the recipient. This is originally a bit like a letter. It's written on a scroll. And it's a certain length because the scroll, back, back, in, back in those days, you don't have... You don't have books with pages, you know. Every scroll costs money, okay. So if you are writing a letter, a long letter to someone, you pick, you get a scroll. It's a standard length, and you write and cram as much as you can into it. When the scroll finish, then that's it, lor. Right? You have no more space to write, lor. So either you engage a second scroll, and that's why we have. 1st Samuel, 2nd Samuel, we have 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, we have 1st Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles. The second one is just an extension, a second scroll, okay? Um, or you try to fit everything into, you have to budget your spacing, right? Okay? So this scroll called the Acts of the Apostles went to a guy called, or a recipient called Theophilus. Oh, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that, that Jesus began to do and teach in the first book. The first book is the Gospel according to Luke, okay? Until the day when he was taken up. So he's, had, he's re recapping what happened in Luke. Okay? So he's saying Luke ended with 
all that Jesus began to do and teach until when he was taken up. And then he had given his commands through the Holy Spirit, you know, um, to the apostles that he had chosen. Then Jesus presents himself alive, you know. He's resurrected. He is alive. And he appears to them for 40 days. And then he speaks about the kingdom, okay. And then the book of Luke ends, right. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. He tells them, wait, stay here in Jerusalem. Right? Until what? For the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me already, right? You heard from me. You, 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 I, I will promise you something. I'm going to come good on my promise. For John baptized with water, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, wait. Don't run from Jerusalem. Just stay there because I'm going to fulfill my promise. Janji akan ditepati. And I will come and give you the power of the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you. You'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit if you wait. But if you don't wait and you start running around, you know, trying to conquer the world by your own strength, then the power will not touch you. Amen? Amen? That's very important. Okay? And then, so when they had come together, they asked him, and this is key, right? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times. Now, a lot of times, we want to know the mysteries and the secrets of God. God, when is the second coming? God, what are the signs that leads to this? God, when will you do this? When will you do that? You know? And then we look into the portents, we look into the sky, we look into the weather, we look into uh, red hyphers in Texas, we look into all kinds of signs and wonders and all kinds of little clues that can help us to understand you know, when things will happen. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. I will come when I come. He says, I will come elsewhere. He says, I will come like a thief in the night. Your role is to be ready. He says, your role is to be on guard, like the servant who is perpetually on standby, ready anytime my master can come home. He won't catch me sleeping. He won't catch me goofing off. He won't catch me tengah tuang kerja. Okay? Well, anytime the master comes back, he will find me on standby, ready, doing his work, prepared for the coming of the Lord. Essentially, Jesus is saying that Luke is saying, reminding us all over again, it's not for you to know the times, you know, and the seasons. The Father has appointed it. He has fixed it in His own authority. And He doesn't owe it to us to give us the blueprint and the timeline and the Gantt chart for His whole creation becoming unfolded and, uh, and, all, and all that, right? He will do it though. He will, right? And then it says here, but you will receive power. Okay? So they ask him a question. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, he says, he doesn't quite answer with a yes or no. Right? You notice he didn't quite answer, that he didn't deal with this question straight. Will you at this time restore the kingdom? He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. First, he corrected them about, will you at this time restore? Right? He says, not for us to know. Right? And then he answers, just slightly obliquely, right? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will be my witnesses. And then you want, I want you to see this because verse 8 is the, is the table of contents for the book of Acts. Okay, you guys, know, you guys see this? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're not familiar with the geography of um, the Middle East, okay, at least where Israel is, you, this may not hit you, okay, uh, but so I want it to hit you. Jerusalem is the city they are in. They are in Jerusalem right now. Judea is the wider region that they are in. Samaria is the region beyond that. It is the neighbouring region, right? And to the end of the earth is straightforward, right? It's you go as far as you possibly humanly can with the technology and the transportation that you have in 1st century BC, AD, right? And so, to say, then you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth, is another way of saying you will be my witnesses from the Sarah Central to Kampung Baru Sungai Bulo to the rest of Sungai Bulo and Kota Damansara and Kepong to the ends of the earth, right? It is an outward trajectory. You're going from your local to your regional to your global, 
Okay? Not the other way around. So God did not call a small church to conquer the internet and pastor people in Switzerland and in New Zealand and all that. He asked us to pastor people around you. Right? And this is something the Lord teaches me. Always pastor the sheep in front of you. Right? Pastor shepherd the sheep in front of you. So he is, he, I'm very clear. Even though we put up reels, it's for you guys. Right? Even though we put up a, a social media post, it's for you guys. Okay? And if other people around can, get, can, can come in here, we're pastoring people here. We're not pastoring people over, o, o, over um, the internet. Okay? That's not my calling. Maybe it's someone else's calling, um, but it's not my calling. My calling is to do this. Okay? Um, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Do you see shades or some, some other uh, story in the Bible? Suddenly, two men standing there in white robes. The tomb, the tomb, right? Two angels. And I don't think Luke is, is telling this story without the awareness that this is going to trigger uh, uh, um, the remembrance in the recipients, right? As Luke ended, the resurrection of Jesus, the angels by the tomb, right? And what do the angels say? Men of Galilee, why do you, right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Was what the angels said, right? At the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and then it goes on to reveal to them the resurrected Christ, right? Here, the same words again. Men of Galilee, why do you, right? Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay? So, so we'll stop here, okay? Because chapter 1 goes on, okay? Um, there, there are other issues happening in chapter 1, but there's more than we can cover in one session. So I'm just going to stop there. Now, I wanna, these are like chapter headers for today. We're going to cover some basic facts of the apostles, okay? And then we're going to look at Jesus and His kingdom, okay? There's a big, strong Jesus element in the book of Acts. A Holy Spirit element um, that coincides with a new temple, okay? Um, and finally, you will be my witnesses, okay? Now, facts of the apostles. There are major players of the apostles all across 28 uh, 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 chapters of your book of Acts, okay? And if I were to lay over this, which apostles are showing up in which chapters, it would look like this, okay? So it starts with everybody, then you go through a, a sequence where there's Peter, Peter and John, Peter, John, and many other people. I, I put them, coloured them all blue for Peter because Peter's the one driving. Uh, um, even though there are many other apostles, Peter's driving, right? And then you've got a little segment here where Stephen takes over, okay? A guy called Stephen, he takes over. And then another guy, chapter 8 is almost entirely devoted to an apostle called Philip. Okay, we don't know much about Philip from before or from after chapter 8, but there are some pr pretty important things happening in chapter 8. Then we see Paul getting saved. Okay, and then three more chapters, continuing Peter's story until Peter's story suddenly, bang, ends without closure. Okay, suddenly you just know that he's now called to minister to outside of the Jewish people, right? And then it never picks up on Peter's story anymore, okay? Um, after that, you continue with Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Paul, uh, um, Silas, Timothy, you know? Um, and then after that, it's just Paul kind of like almost solo uh, from chapter 21 onwards. He is in a prison cell, you know, or, or rather he is, he is in he's on trial. And he goes from trial to trial, forgotten in prison for years, brought back out for a retrial, go, and then eventually he makes his appeal. He says that, guys, this is a fraud trial. I appeal to Caesar. Where is Caesar? Caesar is in Rome. So they're going to have to send him all the way to Rome to finish up his legal battle, so to speak. And that takes us all the way to chapter 28. Okay, so this is what happens with the major players in the book of Acts. Now, um, as you can see, the first half is mostly uh, uh, Peter's story, Peter and everyone else. This is not a, an electoral map of the, of the American Senate, okay? I'm so sorry if it looks like that, okay? It's not. Um, uh, we've got Peter in the first season, and that will take us from February through till the first week of June. And then we're going to take a break. During that break, we'll have, uh, well, somewhere in the middle, we'll have church camp, okay? Uh, so we're, so we're going to uh, uh, open up registration for church camp next week, okay? Like, like full proper registration, with the fees and everything. That's next week, okay? Okay, so church can come somewhere around here, 
okay, somewhere around here. And then we'll take a break. We'll look at a few other kinds of, of, of books in the Bible. We'll do other studies. We'll get some guest speakers in. And then um, when we're all fresh uh, and ready to attack season two, season two begins in August. That will take us right through till November and the Advent series. Then the year ends again. We've just started. So we don't, 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 don't feel like the year is ending so soon. There is a lot of shaping and, and praying and, and, and learning for us ahead of us, right? And so, um, Luke is the author. He's the same guy who wrote the gospel according to Luke, okay? Uh, so it's him. He is known to be a physician, a doctor. Some people see a lot of medical and scientific uh, traces in the way he writes. I don't. Um, some scholars also don't, but it's okay. You know, we just know that that is his profession, okay? And he writes to a recipient called Theophilus. Now, Theophilus um, could be uh, a, a Greek official. He could be an actual person called Theophilus and who may have access um, from the stories that he is receiving to share it with other people and to broadcast it. So Theophilus may be uh, someone like that. Theophilus may also um, be be, because Theophilus means lover of God. Theo refers, is, is, is the Latin for for. For God and Philae, okay, Philae refers to love, right? So Theophilus, is it like it's Greek, right? For, for lover of God. So he might be writing to a Theophilus in a sense that he is writing to a group of people whom he is calling by code as lovers of God, okay? And so it might, in some sense, even be said that he is writing to all of us. As lovers or wherever you find lovers of God, you are a Theophilus, you are a recipient of this book, right? And he says this, right? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, that's Gospel of Luke, okay? He summarized Gospel of Luke with this expression, all that Jesus began to do and teach. And in a way, the book of Acts, the whatever that's going to come after this, can be described as all that Jesus continued to do and teach. Okay? So you can think of the book of Acts. Now, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. You need to know this. These things were not written with a book name. They were just, they were just correspondence, right? He writes it on a scroll, sends it to a recipient called Theophilus, and there is no header. There's no title, there's no book cover, you know, with a spine and a blurb on the back. You know, there, is no, there are no chapters. There are no chapters, no verse numbers. There's none. If you open your Bibles now, there are chapters and verse numbers. These things were not there in the original. These things are editorial additions that we put in there to help us find parts of the Bible. Because if it was just paragraphs and words, it would be very hard. All that Jesus continued to do and to teach. And in a way, you can think of, of this book, Acts of the Apostles, like that. You can also think of it as Acts of the Holy Spirit because you see the Holy Spirit really active and constantly working in and, in and among the disciples. You could even think of it as a gospel as a declaration of good news in a way that the gospel of Luke was a gospel. And so I would cheekily uh, suggest that you could think of this book as the gospel according to the apostles according to Luke. Yeah? Um, because it is Luke narrating the apostles sharing the good news to as many people as they can. Okay? Now, one thing you need to know, as they go about sharing to the churches, the early church it's not like the way our churches are today. This is back in 1st century AD. The churches then, by the way, at Acts chapter 1, there is no church yet. Okay? Okay, there's no church yet. You could say that there is no formal gathering. Uh, um, in a sense, they've been following Jesus and then suddenly Jesus has been crucified. He died. He was raised back to life and now He's ascending. Okay? And they're like, what's going to happen? Wait, gather, pray. And you could think of Acts chapter 1, chapter 2 as the birth of the church. It doesn't really matter, okay? The point is that the early church was not organized the way we are with like a pastor, senior pastor, and then prayer pastor, and then cell leader, zone leader, and then got ministry leader. Early church was not. In fact, they were very messy. If ever you find that serving church is messy, early church was messy. If you've been, if you've got church background and, you're, and you feel like, oh, I don't want to serve in church, church very messy, you know? Early church was also messy. In fact, they are even less 
organizational uh, um, um, uh, powers, you know, that their experience, they were just gathering, normal people gathering, and they had to work through a lot of church problem. They had to work through a lot of people problem. They had to work through a lot of operational problems as well. You know? And we get to see. We actually get to see them work through all those difficulties as we go through the book of Acts. So, and they, by the way, they didn't gather in like big rented halls like we do today, okay? They would gather in homes. It would be small homes here, small homes there, you know, a home here with 10 people, a home here with five, another home there with seven, you know, and, they would, and all of these in a city, let's say the city is, is Sungai Bulo, all these small gatherings, a bit like your cell groups, okay, would be known as the church in Sungai Bulo. And then the apostle will write, you know, uh, uh, the epistle to Sungai Bulo, right? And then that would be received by all of you because your zone leader, uh, Athelia, Pastor Ramesh and Denise will be going around between all the churches in Sungai Bulo and reading out the apostles' words to y'all, okay? So it would have been like that. That's the early church, okay? You guys got a grip of this book? A bit a better grip on, on, on Acts of the Apostles, okay? Now, I want to share with you now about Jesus and His kingdom and how Jesus appears to disappear at the start of, of, of Acts. Sorry about that. Okay, He disappears at the start of Acts, but His presence continues to loom large throughout the book of Acts. So some people might say that, oh, um, Acts don't have Jesus. Acts is about the apostles. Not true. Jesus looms extremely large and is very present throughout the whole book of Acts. He is just not physically there walking and journeying with them over every step of the way, but He is actively present. Jesus is there after the ascension, right? Jesus is there uh, um, at the stoning of Stephen when the skies break open and Stephen prays and he looks up into the heavens and he sees Jesus standing next to the throne of the Father, right? Uh, Jesus is there who, in whose name, every time they invoke that powerful name of Jesus, in the name of, they will be asked, by whose name you do this? By whose power have you healed this man? They say, by the power and the name of Jesus Christ. And then it results in all kinds of uh, uh, outcomes, right? Some people will go, yes, and then people give their lives to Jesus, and other people will, will say, no, this has to be satanic, and then they reject and fight and oppose the work of Jesus. You see Jesus showing up uh, um, um, on the road to Damascus in a bright light and in a voice, speaking to the Apostle Paul and, and, and converting him from darkness into light, from hatred into, into the love of God, right? He loved God by hatred of, of, of the way and God con Jesus meets him and converts him and changes him all together, right? You see Jesus later uh, showing up in a vision to the Apostle Paul again, right? And reminding him, you will go to Jerusalem. I will be with you. Don't be afraid. I'm here for you, right? And so you see the presence of our risen Lord so looming large across the whole book of Acts. And I want to encourage you, look as you read through your book of Acts, see Jesus all the way through it. Amen? So He's very present. He did not just beam me up, Scotty, and disappeared and didn't come back. Okay? Now, that question, Lord, are you about at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel is absolutely key for us to understand the book of Acts. Because if we don't understand the heart of this question, we might think of the book of Acts as just this random uh, um, explosion of people, power, God, and people are just moving everywhere, doing all kinds of things. But it is not a random thing. It is deeply tied in to everything that Luke shared in the Gospel of Luke. Or for that matter, in the three other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. When you read the accounts of what Jesus began there, Acts is a logical, relevant continuation. You cannot think of them as separate. You have to think of them as one totality. The first half that Jesus did in physical body, and in the second half that Jesus continues to do through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So they ask, oh, I've jumped into this. They ask, will you at this point restore the kingdom to Israel? If you're a Jew and you're a devout Jew, one of the things in your mind, okay, seeing Jesus... Now, you guys got to know this. Jesus had His following, 
in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he has a following. He is going around performing miracles, signs, wonders. Lame people are walking, dead people are raised up, sick people are healed, right? Storms are being calm. The followers are looking at him thinking, this is the Messiah. This is the Saviour. And they are thinking, they are thinking of 2 Samuel 7. Because in 2 Samuel 7, God promised to them, when your days, he says this to, to Jesus' ancient, 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 right? Maximum, right? Um, extra, right? Um, uh, he says this to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so, if you're newer to this faith, you've got to know this. The Jewish people have been waiting for a king, this king. 2 Samuel 7, king. They've been waiting for this king for centuries, hundreds of years they've been waiting for this king. Then suddenly Jesus shows up, heals the sick. His teaching is powerful and authoritative he, and, and he does everything. People are thinking, wow, this, this is him. He's come. Now to be sure, a lot of other would-be kings have shown up and then fizzled, pop, and then they go, ah, we bet on the wrong horse, right? And they kept betting on the wrong horse. But eventually, now Jesus is here. The crowds swell up. People are expecting. People are hopeful. And then suddenly, arrested. No, he'll overcome it. Suddenly, crucified. Huh? Fizzle and pop. That's not the king. We were hoping for a king. That's not the king. He died, right? Three days later, resurrected. <gasps> no, no, game on, game on. This is like this is like World Cup final when after after Mbappe scored the two goals, you know, and then and then like Argentina got back in the game in the in extra time and like oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I died already, no hope already, and then you got hope again, and you're like oh yes, and it's with this, and I want to show you the layer. I will raise up your offspring. And if you are a devout Jew and you are praying 2 Samuel 7 all the time, and devout Jews will, huh? you, are, you have these words in your mind, I will raise up your offspring. Oh Lord, you're going to raise up an offspring of David. You're going to raise up an offspring of David. And then suddenly, this Jesus who fizzled, popped, resurrected, raised up, suddenly 2 Samuel 7 has a new layer. New layer of meaning. It's not just I will prepare and, and raise up in a sense of, you know, I, I, I will bring him into authority. I will, oh, that's what 2 Samuel 7 means. I will raise up your offspring. He just got, this is it. He's the king. Game on. We are back in it. We are back in the game, guys. So on that note, they go to Jesus and they say, Lord, are you now? going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you now going to be the king we've always wanted? The king who is going to come in and defeat the Roman army, kick the Romans out of Israel, establish a new Jewish kingdom line, you know, and his kingdom will last forever and then rule Israel so that Israel becomes the top political power nation of its day again. Thank you, God. And they're hoping for that. They're asking him, God, Jesus, are you now? Are you going to do that? Jesus gives them that oblique answer, right? Are you going to restore the kingdom? He says, first, it's not for you to know the times. Second, but you will receive power. And they're like, so is that a yes, but you will receive power? Or no, but you will receive power? And they don't really know. But if they, if, they had been, if they could reflect on the gospel according to Luke or the gospel according to John or Mark or Matthew, they will realize that Jesus' kingdom was not quite of this world. It's not quite like the kingdoms of this world. So was he, uh, at this time, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I believe yes. I believe that what... what Luke was writing uh, um, um, Jesus say is effectively yes but not the way you expect it yes but not the way you hope for it yes I will but you know what 
it's going to look so different from the kingdoms you were hoping for. Because why? Because this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you power. And how this kingdom is going to be established is with that power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are going to become my witnesses. And you're going to go out from Disara Central to Kampung Baru Sungai Bulo, to the rest of Sungai Bulo, to Kepong, to the ends of the earth. That's how I'm going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He doesn't say literally. He just says, I will give you power. Okay? That's very important to notice. Now, in the midst of this, there is going to be clash, counter-culture, cross-culture. They're going to bump up against people who have different thoughts, different language, different feelings, different, they, they watch different things, they have different sense of humour, they have different everything, right? Now, today, the world is very globalised. So actually, we watch the same things as the fella in, in Vietnam. Uh, um, we watch the same memes. We, 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 we repeat the same jokes all throughout the world. That was not the case back then. The world was a lot smaller. And if you go into the next town or the next next city, already it's very different there already. Okay? Today, the whole world is much more globalised. Now, what's going to happen is they start out in a Jewish nation, Jerusalem. In the Jewish city to Judea, which is the Jewish region. And then once you hit Samaria, it is actually half Jews, half Samaritan people. Okay, so basically they are actually uh, uh, multiracial, okay, cross families, okay, mixed mix, mix, uh, uh, ethnic families, okay, in Samaria. So the, if you can say the Jewishness is diluting, if you can put it that way. At least we don't think that way, but if you're a Jew in that day, you would think that way, okay? So this is what it looks like um, throughout the book of Acts. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 um, is them working on Jewish issues, fighting against Jewish opposition, right? It's all very Jewish. It's all happening in Jerusalem. And then in 8, Philip bumps up against a guy, an Ethiopian eunuch. He bumps up against this African and who is reading Isaiah. And, and then he gives him explanation on Isaiah being about Jesus and then you don't hear anything more. You can assume that this Ethiopian eunuch brings the gospel of, about, of Jesus and the resurrection to Ethiopia and that's the entry point of the Jesus narrative into the African continent. We've got African brothers and sisters today. Thank you so much for being with us. A major thing happens here with the conversion of Paul because Paul is the guy who is like persecuting them right here, right here, right here. And then Peter's, Peter's vision. Peter is obsessed about Jewish ways and then God turns his mind and helps him to see that, that what God has called clean let no man consider unclean, right? And from that point onwards, pretty much the Gentile ministry, by Gentile, I mean non-Jew, okay? The ministry goes out, away from the Jewish crowds into the rest of the world. Then it's around here, you see them going through all the European cities already, okay? And all the way until Rome, okay? Right at the end. Alright, so if you were to map out the Acts of the Apostles, 28 chapters in terms of Jewish Gentile ministry, looks like this. Now, I want to tell you about the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to come. I shared with you just now, wait, right? Jesus says, wait, don't go anywhere, anywhere yet, okay? But wait because what? For the promise of the Father. And I just really want to make this short uh, um, uh, point, okay? So that we understand. So we understand that if these guys uh, were impatient and they were eager and they just said, wow, now you're, oh, that's what's going to happen. Uh, Jesus is alive. Let's go, let's go. Chong boom, right? And then they leave Jerusalem, start traveling, wandering around. They would be jumping the gun because they would be trying to conquer the world without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that was, that's not how God wants us to be. God wants us to wait. And I just sense in my spirit there are some of us among here, okay, who are in the middle of making major life decisions and you're feeling anxious and you want to just pull the trigger already. But by the how, actually, you have not prayed. You have not sought the Lord. Or maybe you prayed and you just said it and the moment you amen, you want to make your decision already. You have not waited to hear from God. You have not waited for Him to speak. You have not 
gone into a place of silence because it's in silence when God can speak and you can hear. If you keep speaking, you keep speaking, God never gets His turn. So to speak, I use human language to describe it. If you keep on going on and on and on and on and God speaks also, you cannot hear. And sometimes, we are like the version of the disciples who just run off trying to rescue the world, do something without waiting for God to speak or waiting for God to send power. But he says, wait for the promise of the Father. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And because they did thank God, because they did, the Lord could use them and propel them from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Amen? I want us to pray at this point. Okay? Let's just take a moment to pray um, over this, even over this truth. Father, I just want to thank you that you are our Lord, you are our God, and in you, all timing is held perfectly. All timing is held perfectly, Lord God. And Father, we ask for your forgiveness that sometimes we are anxious, sometimes we want to rush things, sometimes with our own eyes we see the way things are, we panic, we get really nervous, we just want to move quick, uh, sometimes we are, we, we, we are rushed, sometimes we, have, we let other people rush us. Before we've heard from you, oh Lord Jesus, forgive us. But Father, I just pray and ask right now that you give us a spirit that is prepared to slow down in order to hear from you. And prepared to slow down in order to receive power from the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for any one of us who are at crossroads in our lives right now. Father, I pray that you will speak, but you will speak and we will, you will give us the self-control and the restraint and the peace to be able to stop and slow down and wait until the promise comes from heaven, until the Holy Spirit falls upon us and gives us discernment and insight and an answer. Father, I pray for all of us, may our decision-making uh, be guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you always be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a few words. Because after this, Jesus ascends. Okay, it says that he was lifted up on a cloud. Okay, he was lifted up on a cloud. Okay, and then he entered into heaven. Okay, now I just want to explain a few things. Heaven, okay, heaven in Jewish thinking is the place where God lives. Okay, it's the place where God lives. And often, Bible language will use look up at the heavens. Okay, now you have to understand. Heavens is also used to describe the, the, the skies, okay? So sometimes you'll say, wow, look at the stars in the heavens, right? That usage of heavens is used to describe the clouds, the skies, and the natural world when you look up, you know? That's heavens, the skies, okay? When the Jewish speak about the place where God lives, they call it heaven, Okay? I saw God's throne room in heaven in a vision, right? That is the place where God lives. Now, um, often they will use language to say look up or goes up. Okay, I looked up and saw, right? But it does not refer to the geographical space-time look up. Okay, you have to know this because we are here in Malaysia, okay? There's a guy in Ecuador for whom look up is looking up at a different sky right now. And if we are looking at the sky right now, we see a certain set of stars, we see a certain set of possible uh, planets and, and astronomical things up there. Okay? That brother in Ecuador, when he looks up, is looking at the opposite side because the earth is... Is, is, is a sphere unless you're pre-Galileo and you, and you think that the earth is flat at which point <laughs> we, we need to have a different conversation okay? and so when it says that Jesus ascends up or look up God is up in heaven it doesn't quite mean that he is like here KL up up 
up right now there's XYZ stars and he's going to go up, up, up beyond these stars because if that is true for us, then the fellow brother in Ecuador, okay, is talking about a different Jesus going up in a different, or, or, or the same Jesus going up in a different trajectory in an astronomical point of view. So, when they say look up at the heavens, it's not astronomical. It's not. It's just a different plane of existence. Okay? When Jesus enters into heaven, He enters into a different kind of existence, a different kind. He's not in our space-time. We are in space. We are in time. Jesus is not in our space-time. Okay? So the closest normal day-to-day example is like a portal opens, like a zip opens, okay? and then He goes into a different dimension and the zip closes. It's a little bit like that. Okay, it's or at the very least, that is closer to reality or closer to the how the Jewish people thought about it than Jesus beaming upwards past Mars, past uh, uh, um, whatever or whatever planetary kind of system there is, and he keeps going on, right? And then if you ask someone else, he's going in a different trajectory past Uranus or whichever is in whatever orbit at the time. It's not that. It's closer to this, and then he disappears. And then this thing closes again, and here we are. Okay? Now, again, heaven is where God is. It's not the same as where we go eventually. Eventually, if you read your Bibles, New Jerusalem is a city that comes down. And New Jerusalem comes down, and we are all invited into the city to live there forever with resurrected, renewed bodies, the way Jesus has a resurrected, renewed body. It is very important. Now, this, any more, any much more, is speculative fiction. Okay, we're, we're, we don't really know what we're doing anymore. Okay, beyond this, this is what we have from the Bible and from how we know the Jewish people. Ah, come on, guys, don't worry about it. It's just food. Yeah, it's just food. Okay, <laughs> food here, happening here, food happening there later. Okay, so Jesus ascends into heaven. A cloud takes him up. I don't doubt that there was an upward trajectory. I don't doubt that he was lifted up and there was clouds around him, though whether this is the actual uh, uh, um, uh, 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 condensation clouds up in the sky, I don't think it's those clouds. I think different kinds of clouds. So a special cloud lifted him up, okay, and then he and then he ascended. He became no more. He was raised up to the Father. And when the angel said, why are you looking up into heaven? Okay, it's not as if they can stretch their necks all the way up and see past the physical astronomical things to see heaven, it's that they suddenly can catch a glimpse of what is beyond that they can't normally see. Okay? And they can see that. And that's, that's important. Okay? Now, Rembrandt, one of my favourite painters, painted uh, 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 The Ascension in 1636. If you, if you look at this detail, I like this and I think it's helpful for us. Right? You see Jesus being lifted up with the clouds and he's got like some <laughs> cute angels and it's a very happy scene okay you see him going up and then you see the disciples some of them in shock in fear in awe in horror um, and some of them in adoration and there's one all of them are in black by the way okay all of them are in black but there's one in white one in red and I believe this might be Peter okay and he is matching what Jesus is doing he has his hands opened up okay the way Jesus has his hands opened up and I think Rembrandt is trying to say something to because as you can see the marks on Jesus' hands, okay, and as Peter the Apostle, in a way, holds the same posture. It's almost like a comment that as Jesus is ascended up, we who remain here on earth will mirror, will mirror what He is doing. As He does, we'll follow what He is doing. And I think Rembrandt is very aware that Peter would himself go to his own cross and he would say, to his oppressors, I, is, I don't honour me by dying the way my Lord died. And so they crucified him upside down instead. Right? The reason why I'm showing you this is because our thinking about in heaven as it is on earth, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's important for us to know that God's call for us on earth is not to disappear and go to heaven. I know some people have said that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Please, no, it was cute, but it's not cool, okay? It's not cool. It's wrong theology, okay? Because our call is not just to like, get safe, leave earth. 
get saved, go to heaven. Okay, that's wrong theology. Okay, our, our God wants us to get saved and be part of His saving of the earth. And He's interested in this reality. He's interested for the renewal of this reality, for His kingdom to come into this world. So we should not be people who think that there is earth and this is our domain and then there is heaven and that's God's domain and then, um, so you got to choose. Are you a earth, earth kind of guy? Uh, are you a heaven, heaven kind of girl? Or whatever. That's not how God wants us to think, right? The reason why I'm showing you this painting of Rembrandt is because you see the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, there is something happening in the heavenly realms. Even right here, if a zip were to open and you would open this, you would see a battle in the heavenlies. If a zip were to open above your heads, you will see right now that there are angels and demons warring over your attention, warring over your heart, warring over your love. And then if, the angel, if so-called the power of God is winning, so to speak, I use human language, right? Then you will find yourself on earth warming up to God's Word, feeling inspired by what's, what God is saying and being drawn to, to following Jesus more closely. And if, for example, again, humanly speaking, if the enemy is winning in the spiritual atmosphere around you and you open the zip and it's dark, because the enemy is winning and defeating and, and conquering your mind and invading your thoughts and dominating you, then you're thinking, I want to go back, man. I just want to leave this. I'm so tired. Ah, sin lah. Listen to the pastor. I'm not, I can't even understand anything. Uh, uh, he said that thing. I'm going to take offense with that. I'm going to take offense with that, right? And then you fight. You fight. You fight. And, you, and sometimes we fight because we think that it's physical factors. And sometimes it's true. Someone annoyed you, someone did, someone that, and you walked in and, be, and behind that zip in the spiritual reality around you, something is brewing already. Now, for Jesus to ascend to heaven is for Him to go into the other side, but He sends the Holy Spirit to be with us so that now there is a hybrid, we operate in a hybrid kind of space where heaven and earth collide. And that takes me to all this thinking about new temple. Because in the olden days, in the Old Testament, if you look at the early first half, first three quarters of your Bible, the Jewish people worship in a temple. Chinese people also worship in temple. Hindus also worship in temple. Taoists worship in temples. Buddhists worship in temples, right? You go to a temple, what's there, right? There is usually a deity, okay? In the form of a statue. Okay, I talk a lot about temple stuff. Okay, in these three sermons. Okay, these are sermons we've preached in the past. Uh, the one on new temple was from our Ezekiel series from two years ago. Last year, I preached on altars and gateways, and I preached on how God is always with us. The intersection. This is big. Because if you understand this, you understand your Old Testament, you understand how we are today, temples of the Holy Spirit. It all comes together. When I preached this, I showed you a train line. How many of y'all were here to remember that? Raise your hands, right? Okay, only about half of y'all, which means that another half of you are new and you never heard this sermon, right? So go back and YouTube and pick this sermon called God with us, SRBKL at Sungai Bulo, and you'll see this, right? Now, over the times, God has interfaced with us where God's heavenly space and our earthly space collide and crash and overlap. And it's, it started out with the altars that, our, that, that He had us built. And then it goes on to the tabernacle that He had the people of God built, where there is a place, a holy place. And then as you're approaching it, you do actually sing, I enter the holy of holies, I enter through the blood of the Lamb. Right? And then because you enter that space, it's a special overlapping place where heaven and earth meet, right? And then they actually, Solomon actually built a temple, you know, and after they built the temple, actually Jesus does land on earth. He is born in a manger. He is actually the living embodiment of a temple, the intersection of God and man, right? And then he goes and we are here. Acts of the Apostles is here, right? Pentecost is here. That's where the Holy Spirit comes, falls into your body. And now we are the living new temple. We are the temple. Now, I don't know. Honestly, with humility, I will tell you this. Because some of you are watching Israel, right? I don't know if a third temple will ever be built. 
Some of you are like, what? Right? No, never mind, okay? If you're going like, what? Never mind. For those of you who are like, oh, you're talking about third temple, okay? I'm talking to you, okay? I don't know if the third temple will ever be built. I know that the plot of land where they sh- which is shared with the Al-Aqsa Mosque and all those other things, okay? There is no space to build a third temple. But God can do crazy things if He wants to build a third temple. I don't know if the third temple will ever be built. There are a lot of people who are waiting for the third temple to be built. I don't want you to have your eyes on the possibility of the third temple, yes or no, until you forget. Until you forget. So I'm not telling you don't think about it. I'm telling you don't think about it until you forget that we are new temple people. That the greater emphasis of our New Testament is that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you are the temple. Meaning, you are the intersection between heaven and earth. Everywhere you go right now, the portals are opening where you go and heaven can invade. And I talk about that a lot in this sermon, right? Everywhere you go, heaven's gateways are open where you go. That's why you can make a difference everywhere you go. And that frankly, is more important than watching Jewish political uh, 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 things. You can still watch it, okay? Please be, be, be aware of what's happening in the world. It's more important that everywhere you go, you know I'm carrying the power of God. I'm carrying the power of God. And whatever spiritual atmosphere is there in the kopitiam that you're going to eat in later, or at the board meeting that you have to attend on Monday, whatever spiritual atmosphere is there, you walk in, you carry the power of the living God. And the psalm says, open up the ancient doors that the king of glory might come in. So who's that ancient door? The temple, the intersection of heaven and earth. You! Every single, you're going to see this throughout the, Old Test, the, New, the book of Acts. Because everywhere they go, miracles happen. Signs, wonders, healing, power, resurrection from the dead. Hey, Hello! How is this going to happen so frequently everywhere you go? Because everyone who walks around understands that they now are the living temple. You can't bring them to the temple, you bring the temple to them. In the past, people used to go to Jerusalem, go up the hill, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? It's a song they used to sing as they go ascending the mountain of the Lord to attend the Jewish festivals in Jerusalem. Jerusalem lives in you today. Or if I may be more precise, the temple is you today. Where God meets earth is you today. That's why it's no small thing to be a Christian. It's no small thing to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's no small thing at all. And next week, I want to talk more about the Pentecost, the day the power fell on the people. That's next week's topic. But all of this is to say that now God is in charge. This is how the world looks and works when God is in charge. Acts of the Apostles is a new normal. It's a new normal because this is what it looks like when God is in charge. To be fair, Luke records all the stories of people who receive the answers for their prayers. Like you, you, You see them praying for Peter in prison. And then prison break, angel comes, prison doors fly open, the guards are impossibly asleep by the power of God's hand, and Peter gets to walk out free man. And like, this is the new normal. And yet, in this new normal, just one or two pages away, James is captured. Do the, do the, do the disciples pray? I'm sure they pray. James is killed. End of story. And so in this new normal, there are no formulas. In this new normal, there is no like, wow, in this new normal, it's going to be sunshine and roses and lollipops for all of us Christians because everything we do will turn to gold and nobody can touch us anymore. And then you see all of them die, dude. All of them die. Most of them gloriously. Some of them, you don't even hear their stories, but eventually they die often by the hands of oppressors. And with each death, there is renewal. And a new generation of disciples arise. And a new church is born. And more disciples arise. And the word just keeps going and going and going, unstoppably going. 
so that every time the kernel falls, new life comes out. That's what this new normal is. Not that every single thing you do, signs and wonders and healing and miracle, will always must appear in a formulate way. It's not. In this new normal, you will see things, crazy things happen. And you will also see some people enduring it in a natural way. With supernatural hope in God. Amen? But this is what it looks like now that God is in charge. Which leads us to the final point, And I'm going to close very soon. You will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And who are these you? Who are these yous in the book of Acts? Is this list of names? I've listed them down from memory. I didn't want to refer to the, to, to, to the Bible. I'll see how well I can remember. In order of appearance, you have Peter and John. Then they appoint Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot uh, who, who betrayed the Lord. And then you go into Stephen's story, you go into Philip's story, and then there is James who was killed. I just told you about him. That's James, son of Zebedee. That's John's brother. Okay, you remember James and John were brothers, right? They left the, father, uh, the father's ship, uh, uh, boat, boat fishing business, right? Then you get into Paul's story. Paul teams up with Barnabas. Then because of John Mark, Paul and Barnabas disagree. You know, John Mark and Barnabas go to Cyprus. Paul teams up now with Silas and Timothy. Then after that, they go to Jerusalem. They meet up with James, who is the brother of our Lord Jesus. You know, younger brother, born from natural birth, right? Um, and then Priscilla and Aquila come from Rome. The Jews are expelled from Rome, so they are Romans. They come and they join up with them in their ministry. They train and support another, uh, another apostle called Apollos, you know. And then underneath... All this above the pen, you know, is the hand of Luke writing about all this, traveling with them throughout this whole thing, right? These are the people. I tell I give you names because all of you have names. All of you have names. And we are all people counted just like them. If I may say, and this is not original, we are living in Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 29 is our story. That's us. And it's still being written. And if you read Acts chapter 28, it ends on a very abrupt note as well. Because why? Maybe so that we can bring a continuation to the story in Acts. Amen? The outward trajectory of... That's why you want to take the picture earlier, okay? If you, didn't, if you don't have the slides and you want the slides now, we'll put the QR code up later again, okay? There's an outward trajectory. It goes from Jerusalem and then outwards to Samaria, Damascus and Lydda. It goes to Joppa and Caesarea. This is like in the region already, right? They're somewhere in the region. Then they go even further. The red colour is even further. Um, they go to Antioch, right? Antioch to Cyprus, to Iconium, Lystra. This is like going regional level already, right? Derbe, Galatia, Philippi. It's very far, okay? I saw Philippi on the map. I was like, oh my gosh, they made it all the way there. And then from there, they go to Thessalonica. Berea, they go to Athens, that's all the way in Greece, right? They go to Corinth and Ephesus. They end up in Troas, Miletus, then they make another trip back to Jerusalem. That's the trip that Paul gets arrested in. And from here, Kantoyri, he's stuck in Caesarea, awaiting trial, awaiting trial, awaiting trial, until he gets his appeal. He gets sent on a ship. They pass by the Adriatic Sea, a storm hits, they end up in Malta. And from Malta, he gets to Rome. And then it ends. Because from Rome, all roads not just lead to Rome, all roads lead out of Rome. And from there, Christianity spread throughout Europe. My friends, along the way, it's not easy. They witness, they witness to what? They witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They witness to his mighty works the crucifixion and the raising up. This is Peter's first sermon. If you read it straight, it's two minutes. I'm quite sure his full sermon was longer. Mighty works, crucifixion, resurrection. Everywhere they go, they share these three things. And along the way, got opposition. No? Some people fight them. Some people put them in prison. Some people try to kill them, but they don't die. Some people put them in prison and kill them and they do die. Some travel very far. Some look after the local church. But everywhere they go, where the light goes, darkness, fight back, fight back, fight back. 
But who wins? The Lord wins, of course. The Lord is always victorious. He says, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? Amen? I want to close right now. I want to pray for every one of us. Amen? I want to pray. Can we have the worship team come up? And as we pray, I want us to have that spirit, that spirit in our heart. The spirit of a, of a missionary, a spirit of a apostle. I'm not asking you all to go uh, uh, um, um, become full-time missionaries and go to, go to you know, Uzbekistan or something like that. I'm not, I'm not asking you all for that. I'm asking for the spirit of mission to be in your heart. The spirit of, 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 of discipling others to come into your heart. I'm asking for, for the... I'm, and I'm battling the atmosphere of the spiritual realm around you and over you right now so that the power of the living God can convict your hearts and say yes, yes to the extension of the kingdom. Yes to God's work in my life. Yes to God's work in my neighbour's life. And then yes to my neighbourhood's life. And then yes out to the end of the earth. And I'm fighting spiritually right now for every single one of us to be in a place where we will say yes to the Lord. Yes to the Lord. As all those names said, yes to the Lord. And this chorus, as we're about to sing, will say, ya alaku. I worship you, my God, Yahweh. I exalt your name always. No knee, not about no tongue not confessing confessing what Engkaula Jesus Tuhan Raja you are Jesus my Lord my King now the Bible in Ephesians says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord there is a small difference between the Ephesians line and the song in Ephesians, which is the actual wording, it says that it says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess Jesus is Lord. And I believe that there'll be many people who reject Jesus but will fall to their knees to acknowledge that He is Lord, even though they reject Him. Because we know that there will be people who will reject Jesus all the way to the end. And if every knee is going to bow, even the knees of those who hate Him will bow. I don't think it will be a bowing in adoration. I think it will be bowing under the power, the sheer divine power. Everyone will fall. Everyone will fall. And acknowledge. I cannot, I cannot not acknowledge. Another day's theology. But this song says, Semua lidah kan mengaku. Every tongue will confess, Engkau lah Yesus Tuhan Rajaku. Rajaku. And my prayer, my King, every knee here will bend to say you are my God, not just the God, but my God, my Lord, my Saviour. And this is what it could look like when God is in charge of me. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance to look upon you and give you shalom. And all of God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen.